we uh, looked at hindrances to powerful and effective prayer uh, from Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 25. And what we saw here at Prosper this morning was that unbelief, uncertainty, and unforgiveness were three hindrances to power and effective prayer in the lives of God's people. Uh, tonight, we are going to consider more hindrances to prayer, uh, this time as they're set before us in the rest of Scripture. Uh, and as we look at the rest of Scripture, we can identify at least five more hindrances to powerful and effective prayer, and that is what we're going to look at together tonight. I have a passage from James uh, listed as our Scripture uh, for this evening. I would have done myself a favor if I had, um, if I had the uh, bulletin in front of me, because I can't remember exactly what passage it was. James 4, verse 3, is that what it was? Well, we're going to end there at James 4, verse 3. I better note that, though, in here. Where am I? What's going on here? Maybe I should have numbered my outline. It's going to be... You know, I'm going on vacation after today, so my mind's like <laughs> totally gone. So, uh, James 4, verse 3. Oh, yes. Yeah, James 4. Let me note that a second. We're going to come to that at the end, but we're not going to start there. We're going to do this a little different. You should never try new things right before you leave on vacation. It's going to end up as a disaster. But I'm going to ask you to turn to Isaiah 59, uh, verses 1 and 2. Um, and by the way, I'm actually not leaving on vacation until Thursday. So if you do have a pastoral need, don't hesitate to call me. But after Thursday, don't call me, please. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Isaiah 59 uh, is where we'll start tonight. So, And here we see the first hindrance uh, to powerful and effective prayer, or the fourth hindrance of the day, if you want to count the ones we looked at this morning. But uh, Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, listen to what we... Listen to what we read here. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So there we have the first, the first of five hindrances to powerful and effective prayer. What is it? It's, it's sin. It's sin. The Israelites here, they, they thought that the Lord wasn't able to answer their prayers. They thought the Lord's arm was too short. They thought the Lord's ear uh, was too dull. Isaiah here says to the people of God, not so. The Lord's arm is plenty long. The Lord's ears are as sharp as ever. The problem is not with God. It is with you. Your sins have hidden His face. Sin is the first of, of what we might call tonight these more hindrances to prayer. Psalm 66, 18 says this, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Ongoing, unconfessed sin in our hearts and lives, it is a hindrance to prayer. As we've said earlier in our study on prayer, if you do not listen to God's Word, you should not expect the Lord to listen to your words. Sin separates us from God, and prayer is a place where that separation is most readily felt. In his book, Embers to a Flame, Harry Reader uh, gives counsel 
on church revitalization, and one of the first steps in the process is to repent. And this is what, this is what he says. He says, more times than not, a church that has known the spiritual blessings of God in the past arrives at a day of spiritual apathy and impotence because of sin. And he's right there. Sin brings impotence. Sin makes one powerless. This is true in the life of the church. This is true in the lives of individuals as well. And unconfessed sin in any of our lives is a hindrance to powerful and effective prayer. This is why, as I said last week, I think it is good to include and maybe to even begin our prayers with a confession of sin. Because sin is a hindrance to prayer. Confession is sort of the way we, we sweep that hindrance out from before us. By acknowledging the sin, by confessing it, remember the Lord delights to show mercy. Okay? The sin itself is not what, is not what hinders prayer. It's unconfessed sin that hinders prayer. So that's, that's the first hindrance tonight to powerful and effective prayer. It's, it's sin. The second hindrance is idolatry. Now you can turn to Ezekiel 14 if you want. Ezekiel 14. I'll do it with you. Should have bookmarked it. But I figure if I don't, then we all get there at the same time, right? If I get there otherwise quicker. Ezekiel 14, 2 and 3, this is what we read. Then the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Right there the Lord says, idol, an idol in the heart is a hindrance to prayer. Now on the one hand, right, to be clear, uh, idolatry is a sin, we just mentioned sin, now we're into idolatry. But all of these hindrances are sin, ultimately. The ones we looked at this morning are sin, unbelief, uh, uncertainty, unforgiveness, right? Those are all sins. The ones I mentioned tonight are all sins. But besides mentioning sin in general as a hindrance to prayer, Scripture mentions these other specific sins as well, like idolatry. And so I, I point them out. I think uh, that'll be helpful for all of us. But, but idolatry is, is that hindrance to prayer, Spoken about here in Ezekiel 14, 2 and 3. Now, what's an idol? Well, an idol is anything in our lives that gets put in the place of God. An idol is anything that we look to for joy and satisfaction and direction in place of God. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Money for many people is, is an idol. It's that thing they look to and revolve their life around and think they need more than anything else. I find myself sometimes, oh, if I just had a little bit more money, you know, then I'll be happy. Right? That's idolatry, ultimately, looking, looking to, to money or, or to material things to provide only that which God can actually give. Children can be an idol. Uh, certainly, there is no limit to how much we should love our children, but that love we have for our children needs to be always, and it's proper perspective, some people derive and look for all their worth and all their joy from their children. And again, that's idolatry, looking to our children to provide us with what only God can truly provide us with. Our reputation can be an idol. Our hobbies can become an idol. I mean, anything and everything 
has potential to be an idol, really. But when an idol is set up in our hearts, Ezekiel 14 says, God, God won't hear our prayers. R.A. Torrey suggests that one of the ways God calls attention to the idols in our lives, one of the ways God shows us that He does not have first place in our lives is by not answering our prayers. And that's, that's certainly possible. Maybe, maybe if you've experienced little power in prayer, that's what God is saying to you. He's saying, you, you, you haven't put me first. You've, you've set up an idol in my place. And so he sort of, he gives you this, this weakness in prayer to, to help you think about what's going on in your life and perhaps to expose that the Lord does not have first place. A third hindrance to powerful and effective prayer is found in Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. Verse 13, specifically. Marv Bazine actually told me to preach on this verse a few weeks back. Marv, it occurred to me when I was studying, so you probably, you like this one, I know. This one's poignant for you. Proverbs 21, 13, this is what we read there. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Stinginess, we might say. Stinginess is a hindrance to powerful and effective prayer. You can use whatever word you want, I suppose, but it's clear if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. One of the most powerful men in prayer is a man we've met already in our study of prayer, a man by the name of George Mueller. George Mueller founded several orphanages in England, is said to have been responsible for taking care of over 10,000 orphans in his life. This is in the 1800s. He's famous for never actually asking for money. When he needed money, he'd just commit the matter to the Lord over and over and over again throughout his life. And as he did, the Lord responded and the Lord provided. The story I told you, one of my favorites, the kids were hungry one morning. They wanted milk. There was no milk in the orphanage. George Mueller prayed for milk. There was a knock at the door, and the milkman's cart broke. Right? This is 1800. It's not a car. It's a cart. The wheel on his cart broke in front of the orphanage, and he said, do you want this milk because it's going to go bad if no one drinks it? Those are the kind of things that happened to George Mueller. Interestingly enough, George Mueller was also known, so he's known for really two things. He was known for being a mighty man of prayer, and he was known for being incredibly generous. You don't begin several orphanages and take care of 10,000 orphans in your life without being generous. I think most of us would agree with that. George Mueller was exceedingly generous. Whatever he received, he was always passing on to somebody else. I don't think it's a coincidence that this mighty man of prayer was also a man of great generosity. Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And friends, we have to say, perhaps the reason you've experienced so little power and blessing through prayer 
is because you've shut your ears to the cries of the poor. Perhaps it's because you've been stingy with your money and with your possessions, and you've withheld things from people in their time of need. Stinginess, this tight-fistedness, closes God's ear to our prayers. A fourth hindrance to powerful and effective prayer is uh, seen in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. This is what we read in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Fourth hindrance to powerful and effective prayer is Strife in the marriage relationship. I think that's very interesting. Peter Peter implies here that within the marriage relationship, and especially, especially as it pertains to the relationship of a husband with his wife, his treating her harshly is a hindrance to his prayers. Some of you may have heard of the author and theologian A.W. Tozer. Uh, He lived in the first half of the 20th century, well-known for his great Reformed theological writings. His most famous book is this one that I did not bring with me. That's how I wrote it in my notes. This one, I'm supposed to have it up here. I don't have it. It's in my office. It's called The Pursuit of God. It's a wonderful book. It's an edifying book. It's packed full of gospel truth. I would commend it to any one of you. Tozer was a great, great man of God, but Tozer was also... Like every other man of God who's ever lived save Jesus, a very flawed man. And Tozer's greatest flaw, which has been well documented in the years since his death, is that in all his theological studies and ministry work, he neglected his family and especially his wife. Within a year of his death, his wife remarried at the age of 65. Ten years later, she wrote a memoir. She said those were the happiest ten years of her life. Because whereas her first husband loved Jesus Christ, her second husband also loved her. Ouch. It's not uncommon. Many men give themselves to the church in service to God And then they neglect their wives, they neglect their family, they take out their frustrations on their wives. That never happens in my marriage, ever. (laughs) That was tongue-in-cheek, of course. And God won't put up with it. God won't tolerate it. God God says, men, mistreat your wives, be harsh and cruel with your wives. And I will not listen to your prayers. R.A. Torrey says, any man or woman, I think he's 
being generous here and, and applying this as well to the woman, I think the prayer really here is, it goes to the man, but whose prayers seem to, to bring no answer should spread their whole married life out before God and ask Him to put His finger upon anything that is displeasing in His sight. Finally, a fifth hindrance to powerful and effective prayer. Uh, we see it in James 4, verse 3, which is where we were going to start. Uh, James 4, verse 3. This is what we read in James 4, verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The fifth hindrance is impure or, or selfish motives. And this might be, I don't know, this might be the greatest hindrance to powerful and effective prayer that there is. We ask God with wrong motives. Much of our prayers and our requests are, are born out of selfish ambition. I have to ask myself this, this all the time. When, when, when we pray for revival in our community, when I pray for revival in our community, what is my motive? What, what is it that makes me desire this so greatly? Is it God's glory? Or is it my glory? Do I want people to say, wow, God is great? Or do I want people to say, wow, that church is great? That church is doing good work. That church is effective. When I pray for God to grow this church, right? What, what's my motive? Is it God's glory? Is it my own glory? When we pray for, for God to heal us from some sickness or disease, or we pray for Him to bring us through some trial, what is our motive? Is it God's glory, or is it our own comfort in this world? Do you get what I'm saying? So much of what we ask for in prayer is asked for with self-serving, self-glorifying motives. And that's wrong. Such motives rob prayer of its power. Tori says, if we make any petition simply so we can receive something to use for our own pleasure or gratification in one way or another, we ask amiss and should not expect to receive what we ask. So many of our requests are concerned with our name, our comfort, our prosperity, rather than God's glory. It's no wonder we experience so little power in prayer. I want to return with you tonight again to the cure. I went to the cure this morning. We returned to the cure tonight. The cure is the same every Sunday morning for every problem we ever have in our lives. The cure is the gospel. Even now, the cure is the gospel because it is only through the gospel that God removes these hindrances from us and will lead us into a more powerful and effective prayer life. How does, how does the gospel combat the obstacle of sin? That was the first obstacle we talked about. How does the gospel combat the obstacle of sin? Well, the gospel tells us that by His precious blood shed on the cross, Jesus has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. 
And it also tells us that, that the exalted Christ who's seated at the right hand of God and who's been given the Holy Spirit, He, he gives us His Spirit in order that we might walk in holiness, in order that we might increasingly die to sin and live unto God. And so it's through the gospel, through the good news of what Jesus has done, that God removes the sin which hinders our prayers. How does the gospel combat the idol, uh, the obstacle of idolatry? Well, the gospel sets before us a God who is supremely worthy of all that we have and of all that we are. Reminded of the words from the old hymn, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Indeed, that's the only thing a person can say after they've truly surveyed the wondrous cross. How does the gospel combat our stinginess? Well, the answer to that question is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul here is encouraging the Corinthians to be generous exceedingly generous. And this is what he says. He says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And then he says this. He roots the whole, the whole call to generosity in these words, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The gospel combats our stinginess by reminding us that our Savior was not stingy in redeeming us. The gospel makes us generous by declaring to us that Jesus became poor for our sakes, and therefore it's okay for us to become a bit poorer for the sake of others. The gospel combats our stinginess by reminding us that that just as Jesus has been so generous with us, so should we, His people, be generous with others. How does the gospel combat strife in the marriage relationship? By by telling us that the marriage relationship, the relationship between a husband and wife, it's, it's to be modeled after the relationship between Christ and His church. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church's body, of which He is the Savior. I always say to, to, to girls who are preparing to get married, you know, that's a, that's a tough, tough deal, isn't it? Wives, submit to your husbands. It's tough until we get to that next verse, as the uh, husbands love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, right? The wife is, is told to submit to one like Christ. That's not so bad, is it? But that's a husband's job, to love his wife like Christ loved the church. And then I always ask the couple, how does Jesus love the church? Well, He loves the church patiently, and He loves the church graciously, and He loves the church steadfastly, and He loves the church selflessly, and on and on we go. That's how a husband is supposed to love his wife. The gospel, the truth of how Christ loves His church, how Christ loves His people, that is what can combat strife in the marriage relationship. How does the gospel combat that obstacle of selfish motives? Well, on the one hand, it does so by creating within us a new heart. 
a new heart that is able to love and serve the Lord. On the other hand, the gospel combats that obstacle of our selfish motives by setting before us a Savior who came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And it it combats that obstacle of selfish motives by setting before us a Savior whose primary concern was not his own will or glory, but the Father's will and glory. That's how the gospel combats our selfish motives. By declaring to us that we have been served by a selfless Savior and then telling us, your attitude, people of God, it should be like His. Philippians 2. Beloved, the gospel is the cure. It's through the gospel and by the gospel that God removes those things that hinder us from powerful and effective prayer. Unbelief, uncertainty, and unforgiveness this morning. Sin, idolatry, stinginess, marital strife, and selfish motives tonight. As we take those things to the cross, as we consider how Christ has redeemed us from this empty way of life, as we behold His love, the obstacles will fade away. Let's pray. Lord God, again tonight, we thank you for the gift of prayer, and we confess that there is sin in our lives that keeps us from being people who've experienced powerful and effective prayer. Lord, remove these obstacles, whatever they may be, by your grace afforded to us through the blood of Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Why don't you stand for the parting blessing, and then we will sing Hallelujah, What a Savior together. What number is it? 175. Dear friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and grant you His peace. Amen. We're going to close with number 175 in the blue book. 175, hallelujah, what a Savior. And uh, we'll do, let's do 1, 3, 4, and 5. 1, 3, 4, and 5.